Welcome to another episode of Unleashing the Future of Work, a guide podcast. Today, I am joined, first of all, before I announce who I'm joined by, I'm wishing you all safe, good health, no matter where you are. If you're tuning in right now from the UK, let me know in the comments. If you're tuning in from the US, let me know in the comments so I can show you love before I bring on our lovely guest for today's episode. But without further ado, today I am joined by my great friend, Lars Sibber. Bauer, who is a New York-based digital leader, international speaker, Scandinavian at heart, and he's worked with companies like MTV, Lego, and most recently, Viacom. He is a digital transformation, digital media like pioneer. I mean, I, I, I've, I've known Lars for about a year now, and I met him uh, on a trip where we were both hanging out in Honduras. And, you know, colleagues and industry giants alike all consider Lars as one of the world's leading thought leaders for all things digital and social. And he's built really world-class teams that understand the space better than anyone else. And spanning his career alone, he's led organizations in excess of 100 people spanning North America, Europe, and Asia. You know, Lars is just a really brilliant guy. And today, him and I are going to dive deep on some of the social media trends that we're seeing I'm going to be talking to him a little bit about his background and his career and how he got started in media and his love for it. And in addition, you know, how he sees things changing in the future when it comes to VR and social media and how those worlds will collide. And more importantly, how are brands going to stay influential in a post-COVID-19 world, right? So Lars is really going to dive deep on that with me. And I'm incredibly excited to have him on the show today. Without further ado, welcome Lars, what's up, buddy? Thanks, Tim. Thanks for for having me on the podcast. Good to good to see you again. Uh, it's been a while since Honduras. It's uh, you good too, days right? back then when we travel and actually see other people. <laughs> now we're stuck in our right? our apartments, but that's uh, good to see you again. At least at least online. Yeah, you too, man. How have you been, man? How are you hanging in there? Well, it's like as everyone else. The last yeah. two months have been rough, right? It's been. Uh, it, it's been very, very different from my previous life, but but until then things were going really great. I, since Honduras, I've I've been doing pretty much all continents with like, not not the Arctic areas, but uh, but besides that, I've I've been been traveling a lot, speaking a lot, talked to a lot of people, um, have a lot of lot of interesting conversations and uh, mm. projects uh, working on. So so it's it's been it's been good. But now yeah, we're definitely in a lockdown. Yeah, we are. We are. You know, I, I want I want you, Lars, to share a little bit more about you know your background and you know some of the amazing companies that you've had a chance to really work with uh, in terms of Viacom and you know one of my favorites. And I remember the first time I ever I saw you speak, you were talking about some of the work that you did with Lego and leading their digital team. So how how did you get and fall in love with media and just this this the social landscape? I think it's it started like way back then, like. Even before social platforms were a thing, I I was very much into the the bulletin board services and, mm-hmm. and all of that stuff. Like when 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 we didn't even know it was social media that we were doing, we were just like meeting people online, sharing interest, and uploading things and downloading things. I I think that was when I really got got into it. So so I've I would say I've been been part of social media from the very very early. Beginning beginnings mm. uh, which i think gives some advantages that you actually know the history of it and you, you know that it doesn't it didn't just come out of the blue it actually has a history and a past mm. to it um so so i've been been around uh, that that industry for a very long time i think 
Yeah, yeah. So you know, for you, you know, and when you were a kid, were you always kind of like interested in the internet? Because I know I have. I was like really, really young. I was always breaking things in my parents' home, and I was so infatuated with this like Windows computer that my dad bought when we first moved to America. So for you, like, were you always just kind of like this internet pari- pariah, like just always searching, like what's going on, what's the latest trends? I, re- I remember my, me and my brother. I have an older brother, and we had. We got our first computer. I think we borrowed it, and it was a Texas uh, CX81. So wow. it basically without a hard drive, without anything. We didn't board, buy the the extra um, uh, hard drive you could buy with it. So you basically, if you turn it off, everything you coded would basically disappear. And if you wow. had to play a game, you had to basically you had a book with with a game in it, and then you had to basically type it all in, and then you could play the game. When you're done, it's just like okay. <laughs> and then you do it all all over again. So that that was the very early beginning. I, I still love those days and those games because they didn't they couldn't just amaze you with the graphics. They actually had to have something a really good gameplay in them, which was mm-hmm. uh, which of course like still something that that everyone is trying to 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 figure out how to do that. Yeah, yeah. So you know, did that kind of like kinder your your passion and and you know the moment and the and the reason why you kind of was work work working with Lego? I want you to tell us a little bit more about you know what was that experience like? You know, leading their the digital team because you, you that was a quite some time ago that you were working with Lego and you all did a lot of great work together. Yeah, it was it's two years ago since I left Lego. I started in two thousand eleven when they were pretty much like. On social media, YouTube, like there was nothing. There was not even a Facebook page. There was nothing. <laughs> that was, it, it was incredible, right? Because it's 2011. It's uh, Facebook had been a while around for a while back, back, back in 2011. But uh, but I was fortunate to to be brought in and and basically being able to to build everything from scratch um, wow. and and be able to hire like amazing people uh, to to come and work with me um, to create that kind of like startup internal startup or entrepreneurship that uh, that we really had uh, and the spirit that we had uh, uh, back in the days where everyone was trying to figure things out like how does this actually work and can we actually sell stuff through social media and can we actually build the brand through social media and how do we track it how do mm. we how do we do it and then most importantly how do we scale that how do we really scale that fast enough to keep up with the changes in consumer behavior and i think when we look at the world of today, we can see that things are changing so fast and mm-hmm. we never know when the next disruption is coming. And, and this huge wrecking ball called COVID-19 has definitely yeah. also also made it clear to everyone, I think, that um, that disruption is not just something we talk about. It can happen yeah. and it can happen in a devastating way uh, that, that we previously have not seen since uh, probably World War II. Yeah, no, it's so, so it's, it's so true. And sometimes it won't be your competition that disrupts you. <laughs> it might yeah. be a pandemic. It might be a virus, right? That challenges yeah. challenges you to completely rethink, you know, your business and you know how you want to show up as a brand. Yeah, and and also really, it it, it pulls the pants down on the companies who have just leaned back and believed constantly believed in what worked yesterday is going to work tomorrow as well. And the companies that have not invested in the right digital competencies or the the digital basically game plan for how to take their mm. business on digital, like if you don't have a working e-commerce and really well uh, functioning e-commerce today, well, yeah. well, probably you can't sell anything. So it's yeah. like your whole business went from up here to not small declines, just like boom, 
nothing. Yeah. So, so I think that's definitely been a eye opener for for a lot of companies, a lot of people. Yeah, I agree. So I want to show love to our amazing audience who's tuning in from around the world. Shout out to Faisal who's tuning in from Qatar. Much love to you, Mr. Murr, for finding time to tune in and watch my awesome friend and I, Lars. Shout out to Kyle, who's tuning in from Pennsylvania. Hope you are hanging in there, Kyle, and having a great day. Shout out to Delisa, who's tuning in from Austin, Texas. Shout out to you, Delisa. I appreciate you so much, Mrs. Fields. Patricia, who is already kind of in tune with you. She's mentioning online chat rooms, and she's just completely blown away by your background, man. Also, much love to Yatunde who is giving us a thumbs up and hashtag entrepreneurship is her, <laughs> is her current model right now. So thank you all so much for tuning in. You know, Lars, I, I love how you mentioned that a lot of brands have had to completely rethink what's their position um, in this new era, right? Where everything is now shifted online. And for, you know, one of the things I love about you is like, you're always reading and kind of like consuming the trends and you've done it for most of your career because you, you know, the history of social, you know, what are some of the two to three trends that you're noticing right now in the social media landscape? I think it's uh, some of the trends are definitely that we went from, and I think you see that right now with a couple, two different platforms. I think it's actually a great example that illuminates that that trend, and that is uh, on one hand TikTok, and the other hand is Quibi. Mm. So TikTok, of course, coming out of China with ByteDance and Douyin behind them, um, acquiring Musically, another Chinese company, and really like they are a juggernaut right now. Like I heard they passed two billion uh, installs of of TikTok. Wow. Then on the other hand, you have this Hollywood creation of Quippy, which is small pieces of video, 10 minutes, um, very much lean back content, um, not socially enabled, but it's two platforms that actually is trying to target the consumers in the same way, like to basically make sure that they spend time with, on their, their app uh, at the same time. Yeah. And one is coming out of very old school Hollywood, like tons of like billions of dollars. They have, I think, $1.7 billion raised uh, to build and launch Quibi with Jeff Katzenberg and, uh, and and team behind it. And then on the other hand, you have TikTok, who is basically building the app while, like it's, it's building the plane while, while it's flying. Mm. And the difference between those two apps is, of course, the mindset. You have one app that is lean back, I want to be entertained. And the other one mm. is a creator app where you put the consumer in the center of the app, like they are the creators. And I think mm -hmm. that is the, the trend that we've seen for the many, many years uh, with YouTube and, and a lot of other social media. You don't go on social social media because you wanna be told anything. You wanna like, you wanna be inspired, but you also wanna create and you wanna be part of that ecosystem. Yeah. And I think that's that's definitely where you see the trend right now that people do not want to just be passive consumers. If they want to do that, they go on Netflix. But they don't. Yeah. They don't download an app like like Quippy, which is already struggling, and they're blaming everything on on the COVID uh, pandemic, which is which is a bit ironic because streaming numbers are just like going up. <laughs> so it, yeah, it, it's a bit weird. Like, okay, so you have a streaming app, but <laughs> streaming is going up, but it's not. But it's still the pandemic fault. I, I I do get it. I, I I know that they are trying to target people on the move and people not moving, but still. Yeah. For a streaming app and a streaming uh, industry, which is really benefiting from this, it's it's quite interesting to see that TikTok is running with with pretty much all of it. I think one of the differentiators too in that in that in that dichotomy between Quibi and TikTok is that Quibi isn't trying to build a true community. 
community. They came in and they're trying to buy their audience in a sense, right? They they allowed a kind of like this 60-day trial. And TikTok, they've been building a community around their, their creator platform and also kind of like this marketplace that they're creating of creators, as well as it's like kind of like their culture on TikTok for mm-hmm. a while. And one of the things I think is so interesting, even with the work that we're doing with Guide, is that, you know, even in, I think we're now moving towards towards a world of work, right? Where, you know, knowledge workers also want to be a part of creating knowledge and maybe learning skills in, in a bite-sized format, but also they want to partake in that. They want to participate in the training as well. And we, we, we kind of see the opportunity in that gap. But I think what I love about what the dichotomy between what you said about Quibi as well as TikTok is that one of them understands that people want to participate in the creation, the process, the fun, the meaning, while the other is just looking to buy the audience and they completely aren't building their brand the right way. Right. And I, I think it's a it's a great test case example of like when people with money or when companies with money think they can just buy an audience. Yeah, but but that that is the model that has worked in Hollywood for an entertainment yeah. for many, many years that you can basically build an IP or build a brand just by really putting that brand in front of as many eyeballs as possible with a certain frequency and then they will learn to love it. But mm. that is not the case anymore. People just choose something differently and mm. they pick the brands that know culture and and the brands and the platforms where culture is being created and that mm-hmm. that is youtube like that is tiktok that is uh, instagram like yeah. those are the platforms where people can actually really be creative but also be part of of, of culture um and i think that's that's really important um because if you don't have that as part of your brand you, you you're not really relevant you might have some fancy ips like you can always buy a new hollywood movie and put on there and people will be interested for a while but but when people the loyalty is not with the platform it's it's with in streaming it's with with whatever show is on if game of thrones moved from hbo to something else the the game of thrones fans would just follow so you're not loyal and your, your brand loyalty is not with that platform unless it's a creator culture and a community and a platform that way yeah 120% man i agree with you it's it's funny right uh, because culture is is one of the things that every brand needs to take advantage of, but most brands don't get right. You know, I, I want to ask you, what are your suggestions for, you know, the CEO or the chief brand officer that is currently watching right now? What are your suggestions for them on how they can remain or build an influential brand in a post-COVID-19 world? I, it's a really good question. And I think it's, it's not an question that's easy to answer um, or it might be easier to answer than actually to to execute on because <laughs> i think you actually have a company that is that is really very close to to the cultural trends and and also part of creating culture you mm. cannot have a traditional very hierarchical uh, company structure or organization structure and what i've seen is in and you also see the creative the big creative companies right now the creative creative agencies and so on and the big brands who are reliant on one creative director who owns the brand and who makes all of the decisions <laughs> that worked 30 years ago but it yeah. doesn't work today because what if that guy is wrong um, you need to have really a whole company that is out there reading the signals and getting the early reading on what's happening with the consumer behavior, what's happening with other brands, what what do we see coming in? You cannot just rely on a big report being delivered every quarter <laughs> by your insights department and then make decisions on that in the boardroom because they will mm. always be completely out of touch with culture. 
Mm. And, 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 and that is kind of like that, that, that is what happens in, in companies when you move up the ladder, you get further and further away from the, from the consumers. Yeah. So, so I think that's, you really need to change the culture in the companies to be more um, egalitarian. You need to be very much listening more and more and empowering mm. your teams in the front line more and more to actually pick up on the signals and make those decisions and make sure you have you have uh, communication systems that actually make the make those uh, initial readings heard at a very high level uh, Man, that's that powerful. Not easy. and that is not a that's not an easy uh, change to make uh, especially not for the companies that have been been built the other way around yeah it's not easy for traditional companies to make i think what's so interesting uh, a good example i think that speaks to your point lars is i I've, I've definitely been watching what companies like airbnb have been doing to pivot during this time you know they've pivoted to focusing on online channels as well or offering allowing their hosts to offer online experiences and i thought it was just fascinating because they were at the pulse of like, okay, our host went, it's not, it doesn't really fit our core business model, but we'll give them what they want and we'll adapt and we'll learn. And I'm sure long-term they're, they're probably thinking about, okay, how do we ensure that we can always adapt in a post COVID-19 future? But it speaks mm. to your point is that, you know, they're, they're always at the pulse of the culture that they're creating and the community that they've created. Absolutely. And I think it's easier for companies, not, not saying it's easy in any way because Airbnb, uh, the team there are doing an amazing job with uh, with with what they've got, and uh, mm-hmm. of course, sad to see that they had to let so many people go. But 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 it's it's a company that's built on a very agile way of thinking. It's a startup; yeah. it's built that way. So for startups, it's easier to actually pivot, and they, they know that they need to pivot at some point. Where a, a big brand, as Lego, for instance, it's way <laughs> more difficult for a company like that to actually pivot because they still look at their past and they try to protect everything they've built. Uh, and that makes it difficult to make bold choices for the future. Mm, powerful. So I want to show love to our amazing guide community. Hey, Zia, who is tuning in from Afghanistan. That is amazing. How's how's everything going, Zia? Are you staying safe and healthy in Afghanistan? Thank you so much for tuning in. Shout out to Joel, who's tuning in from the Ivory Coast. Wow. The islands, man. <laughs> Shout out to you, Joel. Shout out to Yetunde, who is saying branding, hashtag branding is incredibly important. You cannot not have a brand. Brand loyalty is crucial. Shout out to you, Yetunde. And Patricia is saying, what if that guy dies? Steve Jobs. Oh, <laughs> that would be sad. <laughs> the great mention, Patricia. Uh, Winifred is saying, uh, she's definitely going to be checking out this recording, but she just wanted to pop in. She wanted to pop in and say hi to us and tell us to keep slaying. Thank you so much, Winifred. We really appreciate your encouraging words. You know, you know, with with what you're noticing right now with social and, and media, Lars, I want to ask you, man, because I've been really interested in, in VR lately. And one of the things I actually shared today is I think that there's going to be this incredible convergence between you know, platforms are really focused on live social, like live engagement, like right now what we're doing. But also they're thinking about how do we offer immersive experiences? How do we offer live events? You know, how do you see VR and social media colliding in the future, man? Oh, it's it's going to be huge. I, yeah. I think to me, uh, because I have been underwhelmed for a very long time with VR. I've, I've been trying the different devices out and it's just been, oh, so I can get a rollercoaster <laughs> device. And it makes me a tiny bit dizzy, but really not. And it's like, okay, that's that, that's it. But then I bought, uh, last year, I bought the Oculus uh, Quest uh, from Facebook and that just 
blew my mind because yeah. the whole interface, the way that the consumer experience is, is so seamless and frictionless. Uh, I, I was blown away. And I think right now when, it, when it is still, it's, it's still like early days for VR and I can only play or paint or whatever I do with it, with a VR device um, for a certain amount of time. And then there's still some things about heat dissipation and, and mm. a lot of other things that, that's, that's still not there, but I have an awesome 45 minutes experience. And I would definitely, I prefer that over pretty much any other gaming experience. And mm. the thing is, because now, like I have a, mentioned an older brother and he's back in Denmark and he also has an Oculus. So sometimes yeah. we game together and we actually, the, the, the presence that you get in, by being together with someone else in a VR room, we might just be shooting zombies, but we still also have a conversation. <laughs> and, and basically he, he's like literally in my head and we are playing together as if we were kids. And I find that extremely powerful, and I'm, I'm yeah. so much looking forward to to what's going to come next and, and the next games and so on. Um, and I can see that that, that uh, Half Life Alyx is, is getting a huge, um, amazing rev, uh, reviews um, for mm. for for VR devices as well. So I'm I'm just looking forward to it. It's um, it's going to be awesome. Uh, yeah, even better than than whatever we did <laughs> on Facebook when it started and so on. So so um, uh, I, I think it's the, the the interesting thing is is if if there's anyone who can actually compete with Facebook and Oculus, mm. uh, because their price point is so low that, yeah. that I think it's difficult for the other competitors to to be there. So so I hope that the space will still remain competitive because we need a lot of development in the area to solve yeah. technical issues, but also to how to actually develop game experiences and communication experiences and in, engagement experiences. Um, because it's it's a new world. We don't know how to write stories and for VR. Mm. We don't know stories even for 360 video so so there's a there's a lot to be invented in that space yeah 100 and i think you know facebook is right now with oculus quest i actually recently got oculus quest during this quarantine period because i just wanted to check it out i've been fascinated i've been i've been studying and and you know keeping track of their progress but i'm excited to actually get my device uh soon and i think they're definitely making all the bets as one of my good friends Ayula has said, shout out to Ayula if he watches this. He says Facebook is making all the bets in terms of VR and AR because they really understand the, the platform opportunity. And, you know, for me, uh, you know, similar to you, Lars, I, I'm often thinking like, you know, in the next two to three years, I keep telling people like we won't be, you know, there, there definitely won't be an office because the, the new virtual office would be in your home. Right. <laughs> Not just in Slack, but actually literally in your home. And you will feel a sense of telepresence with the people you work with. So for, from a, even a business to business standpoint, I'm really interested in, you know, how, you know, things like iClears are going to converge with the, the working world. Yeah, definitely. And I think COVID, COVID-19 has, of course, given us uh, a lot of new challenges, but it has also accelerated development like a digital development and, and things going online that might've taken the next five to 10 years has taken a few months. So I think the whole, as you said, working culture, working from home, um, mm. business traveling and so on, it's, it's yeah. never going to go back to, to where, where it was because basically people have tried and they have made it work for the last couple of months. And, and that's not going to disappear. People are not just going to change their perception of webcams and, and everything they bought to basically make this work um, just because they, they can go back to, to work. And I think uh, it's, the acceleration has definitely meant uh, a lot for, for the future of work.
Yeah, yeah. So Patricia meant, she meant when she said, or they might die, Steve Jobs, she meant the creative director is like Steve Jobs. You might lose a brand, just don't lean on one mind to your point of how agencies only have one creative director steering a brand or overseeing a brand, which is not enough. Mm. Christian, shout out to Christian, who is showing love to Patricia in the comments. You know, Edward is saying, this is a new MBA thesis. Enjoying your discussions. Edward, I appreciate you so much, man. Thank you so much for tuning in to this amazing episode with Lars and I. You know, we would love to get y'all's thoughts, right? How do y'all see brands changing post-COVID-19? What are some of the things that you think brands need to do to stay relevant? One, and have you used VR yet? You know, are you playing Half-Life in VR or zombie games like Lars is doing? Let us know in the comments and we'll give you a shout out. <laughs> so, Lars, you know, you know, you're big on digital transformation as well because you've been in this space for, for quite some time. You know, uh, I want to ask you, what are the skills that make up a good digital transformation leader? You need to be good to persuade people to to let go of things, yeah. I think. The most important thing that a company needs to go through when you, you want to go on a change journey, especially in digital, it is to let go of a lot of things and stop doing a lot of things. Mm. And that is that is very difficult for companies because, of course, the processes, the structures, whatever they've done has brought them to where they are today. But they need to give up a lot of that to actually not just put digital on top, but basically to reinvent everything. Yeah, so so, yeah. so so there's going to be some cannibalization. You need to to basically disrupt your own company and you need to change things mm. that still might be working, but you need to change them in time for you not to be disrupted by competitors doing it this, the same way. So I think it, it's you need to really be able to persuade people and tell the stories and be able to make them believe with numbers, with visions, whatever, to yeah. see the future and then really to lead them to, 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 to make them go there. And then, of course, you need to be, be able to execute and, and, and do it. And, and just to touch upon the whole thing about like the, the creative directors, I think, for instance, for a creative industry who has been mm. used to having these icons of creative directors, to go into a more data-driven creativity mm -hmm. where, where data becomes a bigger part of it, where it's not just one person's gut feeling that's going to make the decisions. It's going to be data, and data is going to be uh, mm. accessible for everyone in the company to make the right choices and the right ask the right questions and make the right decisions. I think that that's going to be, and that's a tough challenge I can see for a lot of traditional companies, where companies like Amazon and Facebook and a lot of others, they are used to their data. They are yeah, so used cool. to it, man. <laughs> yeah, no, but but, but I, I don't think like you can say like will will data or will at some point AI kill the creative director? Yes, mm -hmm. a lot of them will will not pass away, but they will definitely be out of a job because there will be a new breed of data creatives that's gonna grow up and they're gonna be empowered by AI and they they're gonna learn how to live together with AI and build their, their creations together with AI, and that's gonna make them a lot more powerful and a lot more impactful when they make the decisions on which creative to go with. And you know, you, you know what you're touching on right there is augmented in, in intelligence, right? And I love I love you said data creatives. That's a new term. Let's go ahead and pin that down. Shout out to <laughs> Lars for that. Data creatives. That's Did actually I think that's really powerful. Right yeah, we should coin that, man. You should coin that. You should run with that in terms of your brand, man. Data creatives. So Patricia is saying she thinks brands will need to really tap into their audiences lives a lot of them have lost touch 
They have to create really great, timeless products. Patricia, I love that because one of the things that you know I'm really passionate about doing, even with uh, with with what we're working on at Guide, is how do we create a timeless brand? And you know, a timeless brand is principled on certain virtues. Lars, what are your thoughts on that? You know, you've worked with brands like Lego, and you know, I, you, we've seen plant brands like Apple. You know, what are your thoughts on creating a timeless brand, man? No, I think I think live and being being present. I think is it's so important for a brand uh, mm-hmm. nowadays. We've been used to a hist- uh, we have a history and a story with brands only reaching their consumers through broadcasting, so radio and TV and so on. Where of course you would do your creative, you would do all of that stuff, and then you would blast it out out to the eyeballs. There would never be a conversation with the brand. Mm. I think right now we see consumers having a conversations. It's a peer to peer conversations, but. To, to, to reach that as a brand without interrupting that conversation, you need to be really relevant and you need to be really present. I mm. think what Fortnite have done with Travis Scott concert recently and, and others. Which was sick. I love that. <laughs> that, is, that is amazing. Like that's, that is beautiful because they've built a platform and then they bring culture in there and then they really like create this moment where everyone is present, everyone is there, and they get this kind of live moment. And I think that's extremely powerful because that becomes very relevant and the brands there are, are being very very relevant for, for, for the consumers. So I think live is, is, a, is a big thing. And I think I'm, I, I'm a big fan of live concerts and I miss them mm. so much. So yeah. I hope that that is gonna come back. I don't hope we see <laughs> that on the cast and so on. And yeah. uh, VR, like, no, I wanna be at that concert. I wanna be sweaty and yeah, uh, but, but we need to rethink some of those experiences at least for the next couple of, of years um and, and bring them into a to a new a new way and really reinvent them not try to recreate them but reinvent them mm, powerful you know patricia so christian says he's definitely going to be using the term data creatives moving forward shout out to christian who is a digital development advisor at pwc Thank you so much, Christian, for tuning in, man. We appreciate the love. You know, Patricia says she loves having conversations with brands on Twitter and Instagram. It's her thing. Those are the best brands, the brands who are engaging on social. What do you think, Lars? I, I think it's a. It can be good and bad. I think, <laughs> what uh, do you mean by that? Well, it's it's having worked for Lego because the fan community is so strong that everyone wants to really engage with the brand. And from a financial perspective, it is, this might be a bit uh, business-ish, but it's it's not affordable and it's not, not scalable for a company to go into one-to-one conversations with everyone who wants it, especially not a love brand like Lego. It's simply not like viable financially. No. So, so we, we needed to create methods where you could basically facilitate, uh, incentivize, orchestrate, uh, the peer-to-peer conversation about the brand in a good way, and hopefully the community would start policing the brand uh, so it didn't end up going going rogue. Um, so I think that's that's the the challenge that you have there. And and again, also like some of your best fans will also be like your your worst critics uh, when it goes yeah. wrong. And I think that that's also something that you should prepare for. It's totally fair that people will 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 take it out on you online as a brand if you don't behave the right way and you don't live up to the expectations but you just need as a brand to prepare for that it will not be like at some point honeymoon is over and 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 you'll definitely feel a a rough time uh, now and then 
Yeah, yeah, I agree, a hundred and ten percent. Patricia is corresponding with us. Shout out to Patricia. Thank you so much for being so in tune. You know, it's not one on ones; it's live chats, and they pick questions. So she likes it when you know the the brands are actually having live chat not just one to one engagement they're actually having those participatory community based conversations so shout out to patricia for that you know you know laura she, patricia patricia's also saying laura that's true we can be very harsh in terms of <laughs> the audience of for certain brands i, I can, be, can very, be very like, critical. trust me my my, my twitter, twitter account sometimes becomes a, a garbage can for for whatever brand i hit <laughs> right there and then if someone did not live up to my expectations it's typically airlines i would say Airlines they have a rough time on my Twitter account. That's so true. That's so true. hundred percent. You know, I so last question for you, Lars, because you know, we've had a terrific conversation so far. Talk to me about because I think COVID-19, in my opinion, has completely changed the way people are going to be purchasing from now on. You know, I've had friends tell me we're not going to see a lot of companies or a lot of people making luxury purchases, right? I think a lot of people are now reverting back to those timeless values of just valuing time, health, family, and the things that are essential. And now we're seeing, as you've mentioned, a lot of consumption of live content on platforms like TikTok and, and Facebook. You know, how do you see, you know, media and the way people are engaging with media changing purchasing decisions moving forward? I think it's it's interesting to see like it, there there are a few obvious things here. Of course, like people are spending a lot less money on luxury restaurants. They're all closed. All of that stuff. We're buying, of course, a ton of groceries online. We're <laughs> buying uh, home entertainment a lot. Like you just bought an Oculus, right? So so you see a lot of money going going that direction. Um, but you also see people being less optimistic about the future, mm. especially if you look at U.S. and Europe. But if you look at China, you can see actually a quite positive turnaround where people are starting to spend more wow. uh, and they're spending more on luxury. They're spending more on a lot of different things that they're not that we are not expecting to 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 be spending more money on. And there is um, a completely different consumer sentiment uh, around that, which I find is is quite quite fascinating. And I, I just stumbled across a, another stat that I thought was quite interesting because we talked about automation of work and mm -hmm. Will will uh, manual labor basically disappear, and is that a threat? And should we just try to keep and uh, keep those jobs? And right now, it also seems like automation is also a way to protect people. Like if you have an automated factory, you don't need to bring people together to work there because you basically you can keep people separate. Like robots will not infect each other with COVID nineteen, <laughs> and True. the country that has one third of the robots in the world is China. Wow. So that's why I think China is going to come out of this extremely powerful because they, the consumers have turned around way more quickly. Mm -hmm. um, some of my friends are already sending me, me pictures of tra traffic jams in Beijing again. Like they're out at the restaurant right now. Uh, they have a more, uh, you can, you can, I'm not going to make any judgment here, but they protect society more than they protect the individual. Mm. There's a lot of politics here, but that is that way of handling is more suitable to handle a pandemic. Mm. So while people are fighting for for basically um, their right to go to restaurants, that's not happening in China. So I think that they're going to overcome the COVID-19 a lot faster and they have more consumer sentiment, which means that the, the economy is going to grow faster and they have automation built in 
a lot of places in the industry. So, so I think that's that's all going to change the world in the next one to two years, which is also going to impact uh, purchasing behavior again and uh, and the whole world economy. Yeah, and I love the the lens you're seeing it from international as well as uh, domestic. You know, so it, from a domestic side, we're actually reverting back to kind of early 2000s, right? Uh, after the dot-com boom. And China is actually prospering forward to uh, more, even more abundance and spending more. Yeah, and they've already implemented those big platforms like WeChat, Tencent, Alibaba, and so on and so on. So it's, it's, it's super easy to actually purchase online already. You don't yeah. need to. Where, where I would say the US is probably it's it's e-commerce 1.0 uh, <laughs> in some ways i would know if you look at for instance like if you look at instacart compared to ocado in in mm -hmm. uk so ocado is like a huge company they i don't know how many times their value just went up here but it's seamless it's a completely different way it's it's uh, and then you have china you have rema in china which is like step three on that so i think a lot of different things have are going to be changing in the next in the next uh, one to two years based on those uh, fundamental principles and uh, infrastructure that is already in place in some parts of the world. Powerful, powerful. Thank you so much, Lars. With that said, Lars, thank you so much for being on the Unleashing the Future of Work A Guy podcast. Man, you share so many gems, and I want to give you the last word. You know, what do you have to say to our lovely community? How can they ensure that they remain relevant post COVID 19? Well, I would say, Follow me on Twitter or LinkedIn, Instagram. I'm at <laughs> Please do. Um, no, I, th I think right now we're still in the in the middle of of, of COVID nineteen. I think it's really about like taking care of our, our loved ones and and the, mm. the families next to us, us. But also remember to reach out to those that are not so fortunate to be actually spending time doing a, a podcast, uh, but they're struggling right now. Mm. So I think I think uh, those should actually be the ones that we should. Uh, give a hand and uh, and try to reach out to when whenever we can i'm loving the empathy i'm loving the empathy and patricia says that she is going to be following you immediately so make sure to follow lars i follow back <laughs> <laughs> he's super active on twitter active on instagram here and there as well and you can actually track his travels when he starts traveling again on ig and then more importantly he's also active on linkedin and check out his website if you are interested in working with him or you know, inviting him as a speaker. With that said, thank you so much, Guide community, for tuning in on another episode of the Unleashing the Future of Work podcast. If you are interested on being on the podcast in the future, check out our website, utfow.com, utfow.com. We are looking for sponsors and future guests. And if you have any ideas on who I should invite for a future episode, please reach out to me on LinkedIn and I will consider your feedback. For sure. With that said, Lars, thank you so much for your time, man. I hope you're staying safe and healthy. And I can't wait until I have you on a future episode, maybe in a few months, right? Absolutely. I would love to be back. <laughs> Good to see you again, Tim. You too, man. All right, y'all. Talk soon.